fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Now, who does that? We do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, the doctor, Michael Dennett. Dan, it is great to be here. I'm loving the fact that you have gone all in on this recommendation of mine. I'm just really excited for what we're going to talk about today. Well, I mean, all, all in for sure. I mean, we're this is episode three of four, and we're not even... The excitement that I have for this show has only been growing as you've been giving me episodes, Den, and I'm not going to lie to you. But before we get to that, we got to talk to our enigmatic engineer, the epitome of excitement, and that is Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, today I'm at the headquarters of Cybus Industries, where they have unlocked the secrets of preserving the human mind in a machine body. This really seems to be the future of humanity, and I don't see how this could possibly go wrong. Well, I don't know either, and that seems like an opinion that you would hold, and I want you to hang on to that for a second, because we are going to talk about the enemies of Doctor Who. Everyone's got them, guys. Every great protagonist has their antagonists, uh, and Doctor Who is no exception. Now, i got to tell you, I'm going to pop in here as the master of film and television, and I'm going to say that I think that this show is utterly brilliant in the simple yet elegant design of all of their enemies to withstand the test of time because, you know, the Daleks are a walking tin can with a plunger and an egg beater on the, uh, for their arms, and they have lasted for 50 years unchanged, and people love the Daleks. Then you've got the Vashti Narada, which appear in one episode, but they are arguably the most deadly creature that we see, devouring human flesh in a matter of seconds. On screen, they're invisible except for an extra shadow that people carry around when they're infected. And then when they're devoured, you got, you know, that eighth grade plastic Halloween skeleton inside of an astronaut suit. That's how we know. Uh, I mean, it's utterly brilliant. And then, of course, you got the weeping angels. Again, another incredibly deadly enemy. And yet, what are they? It's a stone statue. They're, they're one step up from a gargoyle, but yet they're terrifying. Now, Denon, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm a novice. But when you look at these, you know, you've been doing a marathon Doctor Who session here, and, and you're a doctor yourself. Would you be terrified to go up against these creatures? Uh, if so, why? Well, personally, I would be absolutely terrified, but I am easily terrified, so that's probably why. <laughs> Fair <laughs> and, enough. <laughs> and, and Dan, you nailed it. I mean, they're amazing. I love, when I first saw the Daleks in the new episodes, I'd briefly seen them, uh, you know, in the older versions. We had actually done the Daleks in some earlier um, fascinating fights type situations, and yeah, I'd watched them, and, and I'm like, oh my God, they didn't upgrade them. They didn't make them CGI. I was so excited that they just stuck to the original, <laughs> little shinier, little cleaner. You know, yeah. we, we went from the maybe the 1700s to the 1900s there. It was really good to see. And the other thing about it, you know, I love this mix of you got the main enemy, the enemy, the Daleks that were part of the Time War that you supposedly wipe out and you come up with very clever ways to bring them back from alternate dimensions, little bits of DNA left behind. So you get to keep fighting them over and over, but you also get the satisfaction of wiping them out and defeating them. And in between, you have so many other cool enemies. You know, I love just a quick comment. You know, I loved Battlestar Galactica, but I got bored of the Cylons after a while. 
right? And here you don't have that problem because you keep bringing in these new enemies. Um, and that's really, really a cool feature. So I don't know. I don't know about you, Ben, but do you get bored by enemies? And did you really appreciate the variety here? Or do you just like to stick with the Cybermen? Well, I definitely appreciate the variety, and but I'm worried that you're saying you're bored by the Cylons. That are you bored by the Cybermen, then, Doctor Ten? Well, there's a lot of other people here, so they don't bore me. They're not the only ones. But there's a lot of Cybermen episodes. Yeah, there are. That's true. <laughs> there's almost as many Cybermen episodes as there are Cybermen. If I'm if my count is accurate, I think Th that is true. Because you know, unfortunately, in the rise of the Cybermen episode, they only make a few thousand Cybermen. That's not nearly enough Cybermen. I mean, I think you need more Cybermen all the time. Because how else are we going to preserve humanity's greatest asset, its mind? without getting everybody into a Cyberman suit, right? There is that challenge. <laughs> well, without spoilers here, uh, Ben, you know, let's just take one of your master world domination plans. How many Cybermen's, you know, uh, Cybermen's, how many Cybermen's, <laughs> how many Cybermen would you use to take over the planet? I love how I screwed up pluralization there after blasting you guys in a previous episode. But how many Cybermen would it take um, to take over the world? Seven billion, all, all. Oh, one, every, every, one for every person's a cyber person. <laughs> Complete conversion. Uh, well, that's great. We're going to talk about the Cybermen in a second here, but I want to get to you know probably my favorite and what I would argue as the most the the arch nemesis of the uh, of Doctor Who, and that's the Daleks. Now, I personally love them. I love their voice. I love their catchphrase "exterminate." The voice is great. Um, they're also incredibly goofy. As I mentioned, they got a plunger for one hand, an egg beater for another that hides, you know, one of the most deadly, uh, the deadly weapons in the Doctor Who universe. But I think their goofiness belies an incredibly dangerous and driven creature. You know, I, I compare a lot of these guys to, to pro wrestling, uh, some pro wrestling characters. One of my favorite was Sabu. He was called the homicidal, genocidal, suicidal Sabu. And he was, I mean, he was terrifying. Everyone could, no one wanted to go up against him because he would do anything to win. I feel like the Daleks are like this one-track mine. They're deadly. Um, Denon, I know as, as, as the scaredy cat is the Scooby-Doo of our group, um, What I, I can't imagine you would do well up against the Daleks. No, I don't think I would. I mean, because I'd make the mistake of laughing first at the egg beater, and then I'd be screwed. Um, but also, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I remember, I think it was... Um, Rose, who first met the Daleks and thought it was safe to flee upstairs, because you look at them, they look big and bulky, they seem to just be rolling along the ground, and you're like, great, their weakness is the same as um, Kung Fu Panda, stairs. But no, <laughs> no, they, they fly too. Like, this is the disturbing thing, with no apparent, you know, obvious propulsion system, and we've dealt with a lot of non-obvious propulsion systems, but it was mm -hmm. unexpected, and I think that's what would be, in a sense, the scariest part to me is that unexpected propulsion, I would not know how to flee. Like, I, I would have my safe route, and then I wouldn't, and that would be scary. We got levitate, exterminate, obfuscate, anything that ends in eight, including hate, I think the Daleks <laughs> are masters of. I think you're right there, Dan. And I, Ben, I don't know, how, how would you uh, mastermind your escape plan from the Daleks? Because really, I think you have to escape, because shooting them also doesn't seem to work. The number of episodes right. where people, like, just shoot machine guns at them, and, <laughs> and nothing happens yeah. is very, very funny. Yeah, this was one thing that really bothered me about uh, one of the 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 pretty much the finality of uh, the Christopher Eccleston run, where they're fighting the Daleks way in the future on a space station, and they're still using machine guns against them. 
it makes no sense. They 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 have ray guns. They've killed the Daleks with ray guns, but they give all the the normies on the space station like some machine pistols. Like <laughs> it's so stupid. You know those don't work. Like they take out one eyepiece on one of them, and then they all get zapped. Like. <laughs> Never send a normie to do a Time Lord's job is what you're saying, Ben. Exactly. But at the same time, I think what you really need to do is just run and hide because eventually the the Gallifreyans, the Time Lords, are just going to genocide the uh, Daleks again. You know, we, we talk about how they keep coming back and then they keep all getting destroyed somehow. Uh, the Dal- For all the Daleks' talk of murder, they seem to get murdered themselves quite frequently. They are the cockroaches of the universe in some ways, because you, you, you think you kill them, but then they keep coming back for more. Um, you know, it, it's strange because when you look at them, they don't look like a bunch. I mentioned that they're goofy, but inside, first of all, number, number one, they're the only creature that the Doctor is truly terrified of. And second, they, they are in it, what looks like an immobile death machine, as you mentioned, they are highly mobile, but inside, it's a piloted by this small, defenseless blob that's been genetically engineered to remove all emotions except for hate. And they've got this weapon, the egg beater, as you mentioned, Denon, it's silly, goofy, um, but in some ways, it is the most deadly weapon that we see in Doctor Who, um, or at least to, to, from from my viewing, I, I think that this is this is something to think about. I'm going to bring this up later on because I think this driving force is something that makes them elite. It's their 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 focus, their determination, and uh, you know they they have a reason to want to wipe out the Doctor, and I think that makes them the most deadly. It's the psychological war, Denon. I think they're winning it. I, I think there is that, and I think there is this element and and this theme. They're not the only. Um, villain that has no emotion because, of course, the Cybermen we discover that way as well. But at the same time, you look at them and you think, oh, they're a robot-like alien or their key thing is robot. But you find out they're actually genetic and they're grown, which is really interesting. And they were created, right? That's the other funny thing. They didn't evolve naturally as an alien race on some planet. Um, They have a creator and they were specifically made to help their creator kind of dominate and conquer the universe. So, um, and that's an, uh, I have to admit, that's a historical era I don't know much about because most of that information's in the original um, Doctor Who series, but it's mentioned in these reboots and, and it comes back at various points and you do meet the creator at one point. So there is that fascinating connection of making um, an evil robot just of hate. And I wonder what was this person's childhood that they chose egg beaters as a weapon. I mean, this is some interesting psychoanalysis there that could come up. I think there, it's, it's quite a bit. I think there's a lot going on there. Because when you when you think about the Daleks, and Ben, I'm going to go to you on this one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want you to compare their force with their driving force with how the Cybermen you know, are, are their driving force, which is a lack of emotion, you know, conformity, homogeny. Uh, they work together in unison. I mean, it's a stark difference, but do you think, which one do you think has a tactical advantage? Well, I think in some ways I give it to the Daleks because they, while they all kind of have the same emotion of hate, lack of empathy, etc., they all are unique creatures with their own personalities they maybe have different tactics dalek to dalek Mm -hmm. uh you know you're gonna be left a little guessing about what any individual dalek might do whereas the cybermen they're really kind of a hive mind and they've been stripped of emotions and they only follow orders so i do wonder if they really have the kind of tactical flexibility Mm -hmm. that would be required 
to win uh, a war against the Daleks. Though I do mm. wonder, you know, I, I like that, Ben, but part of what I realized is the Cybermen's goal is to upgrade everyone, right? Which is kind of an True. interesting thing. They're not, they're not really there to wipe you out. They're there Absolutely. to absorb you and upgrade you. So you could imagine finding more um, sort of traitors, for lack of a better word, you know, people who really actually want to be upgraded, whereas the Daleks really are about just exterminating you. It's hard to find people who want to be exterminated. So Daleks <laughs> may, right? Well, you know, I mean- Some would I, say impossible, but yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I don't want to say anything's impossible, Dan. There, there might be some. Nothing's impossible, right, yeah. But so, you know, you the Daleks probably create a stronger resistance right from the beginning, because if I have two things running at me and one is saying exterminate and one is saying upgrade, I might pause say upgrade. Hmm, what are you talking? That could be good. Exterminate, that's bad. Yeah. Well, uh, up, upgrade opens up a conversation. Exterminate kind of ends a conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I like Denon that you're bringing up here the the really altruism of the Cybermen <laughs> in that they're trying to bring a gift to humanity, whereas the Daleks are trying to exterminate humanity. Uh, but I'd still, but I think because of that, I still do give it to the Daleks because they're they're not worried about helping people out. They're, all they care about is the extermination. Well, now keep in mind, you know, I mean, Cybermen may be about they may be chanting assimilate, and the Daleks may be chanting exterminate. Um, so we think, you know, it's really the battle of both of those concepts as an ideological worldview, let's say. Uh, but when the, with the Cybermen, you know. Their catchphrase is delete, just like Broken Matt Hardy and bringing it back to pro wrestling. Delete, delete, <laughs> delete. They still have, I mean, that might as well be exterminate in Cybermen language. So I don't know 100% that it is you know, as altruistic as you'd make it out, Ben. True. Although one thing I've got to wonder, and maybe the audience could chime in on this too. Do we think the Do or the Cybermen could turn a Do the Dalek into more Cybermen? Hmm. Like, is there enough brain in there? And what would a Cyberman Dalek be an even better Cyberman. Okay, you just that's made me really, question. really scared, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, question. <laughs> I'm not even going to contemplate that. That's just too scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Let's let's save that. That's a great conversation. I think we can have. Um, but so let, let's hold on to that because I want to get to the Weeping Angels um, because to me these this is a group that is in, almost entirely different than the Cybermen and the Daleks. I mean, these are you know when I watched this episode with them, it seemed like a combination of Back to the Future 3 and The Shining. You know, I mean, it's like they're, they're, <laughs> there's, there's no catchphrase here. Um, and they're very similar, if I can, you know, for my video game members out there, they're very similar to Boo from Super Mario Brothers. When you look at them, they don't move. When you look away, they're moving towards you. And when they touch you, they send you back in time and then feed off your potential energy. I really like these creatures, Denon, but I was very curious at just how their power holds up and can one feast on another's potential energy? Well, the feasting part is tricky. I, and I, and, but, you know, it depends on really what your source of energy is as a weeping angel, right? There is a change of energy when you move back in time. We're moving matter in a certain way. Um, and that transfer, I mean, feeding is just changing the forms of energy. So in principle, it's not crazy. I also really love that he actually calls them quantum life forms because they really are taking advantage of this whole Schrodinger's cat to the new extreme. When you look at it, it exists as a statue. When you don't look at it, it, it it's doing whatever it is it's doing and you don't know. 
Um, right. And in fact, it's amazing how fast they can move at times when you don't look at it. Um, so it's absolutely terrifying from that perspective. Um, I do love also that they can actually look at each other and cause them to be frozen. That was a brilliant part of it. It's any observer, not just like a human or other observer. Mm -hmm. So there, there is a lot there. Um, I am fascinated also. I've always wondered, like, how much can you just smash them when they're as stone? Like, like how invulnerable right. are they? Because they don't really do that. Um, and I wonder if smashing things, you blink too much and they move out of the way. Um, right. I mean, that's just, I, I don't Good know. Idea. Ben, when you're smashing stuff, do you feel a lot of blinking going on or do you feel confident in your ability to smash? Well, I think what you got to do is get a nice face shield yep. so that you're not worried about the, <laughs> the rocks hitting your eyes while you're doing it. But then that also brings the question. I, I like there's this quantumness to the weeping angels, right? If they're being observed, they can't move. If they're not being observed, their probability function reinflates or whatever we want to call whatever you'd call it. What would you call that tenant? <laughs> Re reestablishes. Let's uh, reestablishes itself. Yeah, there, there's a good science word for that. Uh, their probability function reestablishes and then collapse against once they're observed. So one thing I wonder is can they be observed electronically? Like what if we just uh, you know have a you know, GoPro on our helmet while we're fighting the weeping angels. Like, does a future observation prevent them from moving? Hmm. Or does it have to be a live feed to somebody in, you know, in the booth? And what's the definition of observation, I think, is really what you're getting at. What is the core yeah. of that question? Uh, that's a good question. Does the camera looking at it count as observation, future observation? I'm curious, Dennis, what do you think? Well, if, it, if they're truly quantum in the way we understand it now, then yes, the GoPro works. Because the classic double-slit experiment um, where we ask, you know, if we know which sort of slit an electron goes through, we don't have to be looking at it. We don't have to look at it till later. Just having the measurement device there is enough to change the behavior of the electrons. And this may explain why the weeping angels get harder and harder to operate in the modern world. As there's more and more traffic cameras, as there's more and more surveillance, right? They have to get stealthier. And this is why they probably really like 1932, I think is the year. I, I apologize to all our Doctor Who experts, whether it was 32 or 36, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was the 30s, you know, where they really take over New York um, because there aren't the surveillance cameras back then. Um, so they operate clearly in a time where they know they're not going to be heavily observed. Well, that was the height of the Weeping Angels empire, I believe. Um, yes, but yeah. you bring up an interesting question. You know, let's forget all the technological stuff. I mean, we're talking about it. We're a science show, and I'm asking us to throw gadgets and gizmos right out the window. Uh, <laughs> but let's do it for a second. You know, just humor me here and listen to this. Because when you think about the natural world, and I want to bring up this question of observation, because even in a garden, you got insects, you've got birds, you've got, you know, Bacteria. I don't know how capable they are of observing, but just go with me here. You got a lot of tiny creatures that are always looking around, making, keeping a, a close eye on their surroundings. Does that count? Can the weeping angel move if a if a beetle's taking a, a peek at it? How, how far are we going to go down here? To what level is observation? Observation. Um, you know, tree fall in the woods. Anyone hear it? Type of stuff. Well, I'm going to go with there has to be an intent to measure the weeping angel's position. Right, like okay. that's the goal. You're setting up a device to measure the weeping angel's position. And so most of these objects probably don't care where statues are. So they're not actually relevant. But if you notice, 
there, there, there is a, a situation where the statues will stay in certain places for a long time. They're often statues that are part of artwork and things. So there may be this deep connection between until they have a target, nothing is looking at them, and then it's the target that's looking at them. So I could take back my statement about the cameras. They would work if our goal was to keep track and look for positions of weeping angels. But we're not setting them up to look for weeping angels. So, Dan, your question has allowed me to come to a better answer, as always. (laughs) Well, because I was thinking, you know, when you're talking about that intent, right? You know, when they're in statue form, animals don't care whether their statue is moving or not. But they are predators, and animals care very much if a predator is coming towards them. Yeah. But they're not really predators for the animals, which is maybe the key. Right, maybe. but they're predators yeah, for us. I think there's a there's an added quantum lock-on, right? Like there's a quantum coherence between their wave function and ours. I think that's mm. what it's going for, Ben. How do you feel about that sort of sort of synergy and locking in the quantum sense? I think what it really comes down to is that they, they're quantum locking on things that endanger them. That's why they go for the Doctor Who's and not for the cute bunnies that live in the gardens with them at the abandoned house mm-hmm. that they seem to hang out at. And that's probably why they hang out at the abandoned house because they feel safe there mm-hmm. and can you know move and go about their business without worrying about Doctor Who's showing up. Well, I'm going to put a twist on that, Ben. I'm going to put a twist on that. Remember, they're the the universe's most deadly assassins, and mm. I'm going to bring in a little bit of the Mandalorian here. You know, you get the chips when you're tracking your bounty. I think when they are hired to kill someone is when they are quantum locked to that person. Their wave functions become coherent with the person they're hunting. And the only interaction, therefore, the only observations that matter are their quantum target. Interesting. But then I have to ask the question, who hired them to get Doctor Who? Do we know that? That's a really good question because we we never really learn who hired the most deadliest assassins in the world to go after Doctor Who and his companions. But they're assassins, and I assume they're following the universal assassin code of only going after people they're paid to go after. I don't know, Dan, Mm. with your connection with the assassin world, do you agree with that analysis of the way assassins work? I mean, I think the analysis of assassins work. Um, I, I now I don't I don't remember them being the assassins, so that's an interesting point. The thing I do remember is that not that necessarily that they're the most deadly killers in the world, but they are the nicest psychopaths or the psychopaths <laughs> that will kill you in the nicest way. I remember writing that down um, because they just send you into the past and you get to live your life, right? I mean, that's not really. Uh, a death. I mean, that's not really an assassination by the way that we know it. If someone just disappears, it's just a missing person, uh, which is a little different than an assassination. Assassination is to prove a point politically or otherwise. So um, I, I find them to be a very interesting choice as assassins, to be quite honest with you. But you know, you know, Ben, you mentioned about them being comfortable, you know, in the in the abandoned house with the bunnies. The Vashtanarada, um, they find themselves to be very comfortable inside the largest library in the world. And I thought it was an interesting twist because they are creatures that are born in wood in, in a forest and the library is made up of a forest. The library is the, you know, it's arguably made up, you know, of of the most wood in the world, I guess, if that's even a way to, to say it. But I love these guys, the Vashtarad, they're like the piranhas of the shadows. Um, to me, I got to tell you, these, these were almost as terrifying as anything in the Doctor Who universe because in some ways they are 
like a deadly virus that can eat you alive within seconds. They're like piranhas, but they're small. You can't really see them unless you're looking for shadows. They've got that's the stealth of the microbiological world. That's what scared me the most about them. I don't know. What do you think, Denon? Well, I, I found them interesting because they are fundamentally about being scary, right? The doctor tells us they are the reason everyone, every creature, every being in the world is sort of scared of the dark in the woods. And that most of the time, though, that's all they really do. They don't reach a critical mass of of actually being killers. And it, I don't know, like, I were they trying to make a statement, the writers, that if you put too many books together, then the darkness becomes extra scary and actually kills you? Like, there's a weird transformation here. That's happening. Oh, I thought it was a comment on digital books and that we should make everything digital and why are we stealing all the, <laughs> yeah, all the it, trees? it could be that as well. I, I don't know. Ben, I'm really curious as, as the design engineer, like what triggered them transferring from, oh, we're just going to hang out in the dark and make you feel a little anxious to, you know what? We're going to eat the flesh off your bones. Like that's a weird jump from my mind. I mean, I think that Dan had it right there. It's, it's retribution for the turning their forest into a bunch of, of books. Uh, that's That's just... Cruel, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Stop, stop killing trees to make books. Go digital, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and I think retribution is going to be a very. Uh, it's going to be key as as we go on, and I think that's part of it. But I, I they were simple. Like this is the epitome to me of a Doctor Who enemy that I love. They are the, the epitome of simple brilliant, elegant design, and doesn't cost a lot to show on screen because they don't even appear on screen. So <laughs> from the master of film and television, it's perfect. You know, but you, mm. you would imagine, Dan, I, I think if they were in the Marvel Universe, they would have been some CGI'd, horrible, scary thing. And that's what I loved about this, right? Keep it simple. Keep it scary. Keep me in the dark. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock did that for, for years. I mean, that was his brilliance. I got to say, though, from a practical standpoint, it's kind of cool how you make multiple shadows mm -hmm. in a shot where there are single shadows on everybody else. That's actually kind of a hard effect. And I like <laughs> yeah. this uh, idea of, of you know, the double shadows being like a scary thing because sometimes you have a double shadow when you're walking along the street and you're like near two streetlights or something. You know, that, that's got to freak you out, you know? So I, I got I got to say, I'm, go, I'm going to go to Dan on this one as the tiebreaker. Is making double shadows, isn't it just having two lights on the one person and not the others, Ben? I, I know I know you said it was hard, but I, I it felt easy to me. I was thinking of the green screen behind me with two lights and how many shadows that I have to <laughs> yeah. try to hide. So. <laughs> well, but how do you do it on only one person in the shot? Oh, okay. Well, you know. That, that could uh, be true. Interesting. Yep. Okay. I'll go with you on that. Yeah, I mean, it can be. I mean, it's definitely a cool effect. I yeah. like the idea a lot. Um, and, and this idea of shadows, you know, it's not just with the Vashta Narada because the Silence, which are a, a, a group that operates in the shadows. I mean, I really like these guys because they, when you look at them, they're kind of a cross between a, de, a, a well-dressed Dementor and a gray <laughs> alien. You know, they've gotten fashion tips from the right. men in black, right? I mean, they're, they're kind of cool. You, you think they're, they belong there. They got the suits. But then, you know, they they are kind of evil. You, you We watch them blow someone up with an electrical burst. They seem to be here the, taking over that subtle alien invasion. These guys epitomize it. And when you look at them 
and then you see them and you get scared and then you look away, you completely forget them. And this makes for some pretty tense moments where you think nothing's in the room and then you look down and they've marked their hands and you realize they've seen the silence several times and forgotten, which that was actually, that kind of gave me a pit in my stomach. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I'm no Denon. I'm more of a shaggy kind of guy. I can withstand a little more of the scares, um, but I, I was kind of terrified here. Well, what I loved about it, Dan, is the combination of extreme humor and extreme terror. So mm -hmm. when you first meet him, the scene in the bathroom where the random woman looks, screams, turns around, and is totally calm. Oh, hi, what's going on? Looks yeah. around, <laughs> screams again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it keeps accusing him of wearing a Star Trek mask. I love it. Like, I don't know why she would think that was a Star Trek mask. That yeah. was clearly nothing to do with Star Trek. It was a reference, like you said, to gray aliens and 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 just, you know, Area 50 whatever and all of that stuff. And Dementors too, and Dementors, yeah, right? Dementor, like yeah. it was, it was a, it was just a funny moment, and and just the extreme <laughs> back and forth. I really love. And then you're right when you're watching, and they suddenly have all these marks in their arms, and you're wondering, like, who's using magic markers, and what are you doing with them? Um, I don't know, Ben. What was the scariest part for you, or did you just find the humor in the situation? Well, I, what I find humorous is that that to me they look a lot like that famous painting, The Scream. Yep, yep. Yeah. But they're silent. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ben nails it. I love that. <laughs> they look exactly like that, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But you also, you know, it's not just, I mean, from, from an immediate standpoint, right? You've got these guys... You look down and you think there's nothing in the room. You look down, you got marks all over there recording it and everything. And then you know that there's something in the room. That's really scary. But the other side, you take a step back and you realize there's a network of tunnels under the entire planet and that they've been pulling the strings of humanity since the beginning of humanity. And they're everywhere. You know, I mean, it's it's almost like a mold or a cancer in the center of the, the earth. And that even that's another layer of scare, um, you know, that's. I could power an entire Monsters, Inc. factory with what was going on uh, when I was watching this show. I mean, it was terrifying uh, on so many different levels. And Ben, as someone who's trying to take over the world, that has got to be quintessential being terrifying on many different levels. What scares me the most about the silence is just this, their capability to make you forget things. That, that mind manipulation mm -hmm. is really terrifying because not only do you forget them, but like, what if you're watching like a really funny movie and like one of them comes and gets in your way and then you forget the movie? That's that's no good. Excusable. Uh, that's know, unforgivable. You, it's inexcusable. Yeah. You could miss like the you know the 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 high peak moment of your favorite TV show because you know some jerk silence guy uh, walks into the room. Well, you know what I love about it? I absolutely love that somebody finally got it right. Like if you're mind manipulating. Um, so often, you know, bad guys with mind manipulation just use it so poorly and their consistency and strength of doing it. Um, I, I think, Dan, that goes to your earlier comment of the high caliber of bad guys in Doctor Who and yeah. how well they work. But I do have to comment also, go back, Dan, to your comment about powering the Monsters, Inc. factory. As I said, they are actually both funny and scary. So you get both laugh and scream. Let's just be clear about that. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, they are the perfect power source in that world. Well, I mean, in reality, they can be any emotion because they can just tell you to do, <laughs> you know, feel anxious, yeah. feel happy, feel perturbed, right. and you'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, th there really are... 
it's again, it's this beauty and simplicity, right? Like looking at them and forgetting them is a very simple thing, but it has so many ramifications, not only for Doctor Who, but it gives you a lot of ways to go with the story. Um, I, I really loved it. I mean, I thought these guys were great. Um, but we've, we've come to a very important part in the show here, guys, is that it's time for us to make a decision. We, I'm curious amongst the three of us, which, who do you think is the scariest or the most dangerous enemy? You know, we've only talked about five. There's, there's a bunch of them. They've been ranked everywhere. But we, I want to give the, the, official, the, the official scariest Doctor Who enemy. I'm curious, Ben, as someone who's so close to evil masterminding plots, you've got to have a favorite. <laughs> and I think that would be the front runner. Dan, I think it's got to be the Cybermen. I think they're truly scary because of what they represent. While I think it's great that we preserve humanity in brains, I don't like that they're stripping away that humanity. You know, we've we've talked about other shows like Upload where we preserve your consciousness in a way that actually preserves your identity. And so while I like the idea of preserving your identity, preserving your mind for eternity, you got to do it in a way that doesn't change it. And so in that way, I think while the Cybermen are a great idea, they got to leave the humanity part of it alone. You know, Dan, I'm going to go in in a very important direction here. As we all know, I am fundamentally an experimental scientist. And we do a lot of theory on this show. But I have experimental evidence that the Weeping Angels are by far the scariest. I know I talked about running from the Daleks and being worried about them levitating. But it is a experimental fact that I was in the Haunted Mansion ride at Disneyland and going through the graveyard scene um, at Christmas time, the way they were decorated, momentarily I was convinced there were weeping angels in there. And I really, because the ride froze and I am just like, I am not taking my eye off you, angel with the horn, because you are coming for me. And I believed it. Like I got, it was, and this was not a dream. This was as a child, right? No, no. This was about like two months ago. <laughs> Like my brain did this weird like translation thing and just the shadows were just right. I'm like, wow. And then as the ride continued, I'm like, that was a really surreal experience. And I do not think I had done any drugs. I really think, and I know I wasn't dreaming. Normally I would rate things by what enters my dreams and what I dream about because that's obviously what's scaring me the most. Mm -hmm. But to be awake and think I saw a weeping angel shows the power of this show and what it's able to convince me of. (laughs) Well, I'm impressed. You know, and it's funny, I mentioned The Shining when I was talking about the Weeping Angels, and some people may not get that reference, but if you read the book, there's there's a whole topiary garden of animals that slowly come on Danny Torrance when he's, you know, when he's sitting in the playground. He looks away and they get closer and closer. It's a terrifying part of the book that didn't quite make the movie. Um, and, you know, I went with my mom to go visit places in Arizona, and the saguaro cactus, they look like they're coming towards you. Uh, so <laughs> I might have an issue with this, but nonetheless, Dan, and you make some interesting points. Ben, obviously, you make some great points about the Cybermen. But we have to look at something that you guys are way too nice. Even you, Ben. I mean, I think this is why your world domination plots happen, because at your heart, you are a good person. Um, And I think you need to not be at your heart a good person if you want to take (laughs) over the world. And the Daleks 
are a perfect evolution of harnessing the very the, the 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 skills and the mindset that you need that hate that drive that you need in order to wipe someone or an entire group of people off the face of the earth i mean this is this is serious scary stuff because it's not just what they're capable of physically or with technology it's the mindset it's the psychology it's been poisoned and you can't change it they will not stop and if you kill one dalek there's another one with the same genetic mutation that allow it to be just as focused, just as hate-filled. And I think exterminating that hate is something that human beings have had trouble with for the entirety of humanity. So in my opinion, the Daleks scare me the most because of their drive. I mean, look, even take that down a notch. Look at like Michael Jordan. I don't know if anyone saw uh, the Michael <laughs> Jordan documentary. Now, I'm not a fan of Michael Jordan, um, but no one can doubt his competitive nature. What did he do to compete? He found a reason to hate someone on the other team and found a slight against them and ended up being one of the greatest athletes of all time. I think this, you take that up a notch, you make it evil, you find the urge to kill, and the Daleks are, in my opinion, the quintessential death machine. Uh, I know that's a big soapbox, guys, but I really feel like they're the most deadly. Well, you know, they do have an egg beater and a plunger. And, you know, I think people should go back and, and sort of watch our Goonies episode to see how powerful the plunger really is. So, Dan, you may have something there. <laughs> that is fair enough. That's fair enough, Danny. We'll put, I'm going to put a little, we'll put a Twitter poll up and let's see who, what people think is the greatest villain. Who's given the best, uh, the best description, the best argument here. We're going to do that. But, you know, we've, we've arrived at our errors, additions, and omissions section. Now, this is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. There's a lot of enemies we didn't quite get to i'm sure den and you got a couple in brief that you'd like to mention well actually dan i'm going to go a different way i'm going to surprise you a little bit my error addition is really just an addition here um i know how much you love the library episode and that's mm -hmm. where we first meet um dr uh river song right and yep. and all of her um sort of awesomeness and that's where we first really really get the concept of spoilers Right, she she says no spoilers, <laughs> no spoilers, and Dan, you are the master of no spoilers. I so am. I felt you you had a kindred spirit there, Dan, and and I love that connection, and I love that you love the episode, um, and that becomes a running theme from from that point on in Doctor Doctor Who, the idea of no spoilers, and I really appreciate it, and I I think of you every time I hear someone in the show go no spoilers, no spoilers. Uh, I love that. I mean, and that's why I loved River Song, and I will tell you. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick little preview of mine is I thought that episode was critical to the series, not just for the Vashti Narada, which might be one of the coolest enemies of all time, but also because the introduction of River Song, I was kind of sucked in immediately into this yeah. idea that you have two people who meet and they're in different equal and opposite timeline <laughs> running or whatever you, you know, they're walking yeah. the time in opposite directions. I mean, how, how a beautiful and yet tragic and lonely that story is. I mean, I love that again, it speaks to the beauty and simplicity and elegance of the show. I mean, uh, it, uh, I sound like I'm, I'm one over here. Cause the other thing I love, we talked, we focused on the enemies in this episode, which is an appropriate thing to do. We do that a lot, but not only is there a beauty and simplicity of the enemies, what I love is how the doctor 
is always coming up with interesting, unique solutions to solve and overcome whatever the enemies are doing. And you never really feel this. There's, and often in these bad guy, good guy situations, it's like the bad guy's made so powerful. And then when the good guy wins, it's because the bad guy does something incredibly stupid that is not consistent <laughs> with their character, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's very disappointing. But here, there's a brilliance on both sides and the doctor wins and you're very satisfied by it. It's not that the bad guy was exceptionally stupid. It was the doctor was simplicity clever. So I, I love that as well. So I just wanted to begin. Shout out for no spoilers and a shout out for the doctor. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, and, and I got more to say, but I want to hear what, you know, speaking of brilliant and elegant and, and simple, uh, <laughs> ben, is there anything that you wanted to add that we didn't quite get to? Well, what I, I really liked, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, par time paradoxes in our previous episodes, Doctor Who episodes. And what I really enjoyed is how cleanly non-paradoxical the Weeping Angels episode is. How, you know, people go back in time, but then, you know, they'd always been there. They send their messages forward to get people to figure out what they need to figure out. And then when the protagonist of the episode sees the doctor in the end, and she's like, how does he get this information? And she finally realizes he gets it because she gives it to him then, and he hasn't even experienced the right. Weeping Angels yeah, yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just liked it because it just tied the whole thing up in a neat yeah. bow, and it shows you how clean a time travel story can be if you accept the idea that the timeline has always been the timeline and everything always has happened. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that is what kind of makes time stories either great or very confusing. And I'm, uh, you're right, this one this one's very simple. Um, you know, I, I had to mention two things. You know, uh, Denon beat me to the punch. I think that that Vashadrat of Silence in the Library is critical to Doctor Who. Uh, and I really like the Ood. We don't mention them. They're not really enemies, but they kind of got this cool mini Cthulhu mind flayer from D&D &D look, except they're good guys. <laughs> they're really crazy looking. Um, and I like them. They're, they're, just, they're just so nice. And they got that cool yes. translation sphere. Uh, sphere uh I, I don't know i like them and we got have an honorary mention here uh is the master who is a doctor who enemy who's a renegade time lord who might be in the running as an arch nemesis he's a little too similar to the doctor uh, i really like the daleks as the arch enemy but but you know it, it's very similar um but th that that's all i have but at this point you know, we have to talk about something. There's, there's, I've always wanted an Ood sphere to be able to translate, you know, any language that I want. Now, I can't offer our audience that, but what I can offer our audience is some great merchandise on our website, <laughs> fgbt.com backslash merch. Uh, I have a mug here that I really love. You can see this beautiful outside. I believe my two fellow guys have, uh, my fellow co, <laughs> there you go. We have all have mugs. It's not the only thing you can buy on the website, but it is the only thing that we each have right now. Uh, but you can go there and get other great water containers, um, great shirts, some some of my own personal designs, some inspired by uh, Denon and Benin, and you can get them all right there, fgbt.com backslash merch. Now, if you want to get those or if you want to get in touch with the show we're easy to get a hold of you can find the show on twitter at f triple g bt pod we're on facebook at f triple g bt but if you want to get in touch with us individually you can do that as well denon where can people find you well people can find me on twitter at denon michael same as instagram um you just flip my name then you look for me on facebook you try at denon michael it doesn't work you stick in a prof it's at prof denon michael and that will work ben where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? 
Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed so you don't miss anything. And if you're on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. You want to stay away from that. Don't be a supervillain. Remember, you always want to be a superhero. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.